0: is airing on Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. Hello everyone, it's Shannon back with you for your usual Tuesday morning episode. Today, I am delighted to share an interview that I did back in June with author Samia Dave, where we talk about her latest novel entitled What a Happy Family. We also talk about pandemic life in a multi-generational family home We talk about writing, we talk about mental health, and just all sorts of fabulous things. I really hope that you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed participating in it. And, as always, on Tuesday mornings, I have a list of new books that are out this week, although this list is not quite as substantial as some other lists that I've given this month. So... Without any further ado, let's get started. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon and today I am talking with author Samia Dave about her latest novel, What a Happy Family. Samia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You are welcome. Can we start out? with a brief introduction so that listeners have a little bit of an idea what to expect from What a Happy Family.
1: Sure. So What a Happy Family is about a uh, fun, boisterous was the last word I heard used to describe them by a reviewer and I loved it. Boisterous, South Asian family living in the suburbs right, side, right outside of Atlanta. And what happens to them after a scandal and how each member of the family navigates mental health?
0: Ah uh, scandals and mental health <laughs> all the very, good <laughs> very yes, very like, <laughs> timely and appropriate um subject matter, I think <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know, I feel like I see those things everywhere, so i hope I hope that the topics resonate with readers and that they enjoy the journey of this particular family going through those things.
0: So is this a book where we will see things from the perspectives of like multiple family members, or do you have kind of one main narrator?
1: So I love that question because it is from multiple perspectives. There are in the book now, but it started out actually only as the two sisters giving their perspectives. So it's evolved.
0: Ah, can you say anything about sort of what made you uh, change that?
1: Definitely. So I first thought I wanted to write a book about two sisters who are very different and how they navigate their own lives and also how they intersect with each other. So it really focused on their professional lives and then their romantic lives. It was pretty distinct in that way. And then all of 2020, my husband, my baby, and I, we lived with my family, which included my parents, my grandparents, and my siblings. And I realized that what I really wanted to write about was family and the dynamics between family members. So the book just started, you know, in drafts around that time, it just started becoming more of a family story. And it just made sense to hear from everyone.
0: So were you like quarantining from the pandemic with your family? Or was that just a living situation that kind of happened coincidentally, like as the pandemic came upon us?
1: So, uh, well, both in a little bit. So I gave birth in December of 2019, and my plan was to be with my family for three months in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm from. So my husband was able to get time off of work, and we thought this works out so perfectly. We can have support from family as we become new parents. And literally, as my son was turning three months old, that is when everything went into full force with the pandemic. So we thought Mm -hmm. we'd become back to our home in New York. And then we thought, okay, we'll come back a month later, two months later, three months later. And in total, it ended up being 15 months.
0: Wow. Yeah. So you have only been back
1: oh, a we, we just bit then. Yes. We just came
0: back last month. Wow. Wow. I've, I've heard, um, so many things about people who sort of unintentionally ended up you know, other places during the pandemic and either couldn't, depending, you know, on where they were trying to go, couldn't or chose not to leave those places until things kind of cleared up. So yes, that's at least though you were with family and not, you know, somewhere, somewhere else, like in like a vacation spot or something where you were not necessarily uh, as, as comfortable as you could be.
1: No, that's so that is so true. And I I found that it was it was helpful for so many different things. I mean, for all of us as family members and then and then for my writing, too, it was really great to see some of those dynamics come up, I, I found myself regressing into a high schooler at times. And that was very valuable to write about one of my characters.
0: So, imagine so
1: so. unexpectedly, it was it was a big blessing in so many ways. I found old journals and we talked about a lot of memories. I learned a lot of things about my parents. And I think the past year affected everyone I know in so many different ways. And so I do, I do feel grateful for that part of it.
0: So how was it for you to write um, in that sort of environment that, you know, perhaps you weren't really expecting to write a book in?
1: It was an adventure. And I'll be totally honest, it was a struggle at times because my son did not nap consistently for the first several months uh, of his life. And so I would basically try to steal writing time. Whenever he would fall asleep, I would say, "Okay, it's my time to get to the computer and my parents also take care of my grandparents who are in their nineties. So really we were all taking shifts around the clock to just either manage a person or people or the home. And really we were working together to see Mm -hmm. what could work. So that was an interesting experience and, and definitely a learning one, I think for all of us, but you know, to speak to your question, it was so different from the way I had written before. I was used to stealing time for myself in residency and in medical school. I was used to that idea, but, but when I got that time, I knew that I had that time and there was some certainty around it. And that was not always the case over the past year.
0: So were you able to kind of carve out a place like in your family home where you could write and be relatively undisturbed? Or was that also kind of a a struggle just to find a place where you could actually do the work that you needed to do?
1: You know, I appreciate that question so much because I think space was such a big topic for everyone over the past year because people had their spaces for work and leisure and everything put into one spot and things things like that. And I was experiencing the same thing. So I tried writing whenever I was around everybody and that wasn't working. And then for a while, the only time I could actually do it without interruptions was in the middle of the night. So um, my husband and I would put my son down and then he would go to bed and then I would actually start my writing for the night. And it would be usually four to five hours through the middle of the night. So I did that for several months, which looking back, I'm glad I did it to get what I needed to get done. But I do think it's so important for all of us to get our rest and to prioritize that. So, so it's a little bit of a push and pull for me when I look back. I think that I, I could, I would have told that version of me to, Hey, it's okay to get some rest. It's okay to pause. It's okay to do those things when there's so much chaos around.
0: Yes. So how many people ended up like all kind of living together that year?
1: Oh, it was so. It was the three of us: uh, my husband, son, and I. It was my two siblings, my parents, and then my grandparents. So four generations. Oh my goodness! <laughs> ages, it was ages one month to ninety five years. So that's amazing. <laughs> it was it was an adventure for sure.
0: When I was seventeen. We got um, the only family picture that I have with four generations of my family, my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mom, and then me Wow and then we lost my great grandmother um, that next year mm. and so you know we, we couldn't uh, we couldn't trace four generations oh. and since I don't have children um and my brother um, also doesn't then you know, it, it's kind of stopped there.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. I, I mean, that that must have been such a moment to have that picture.
0: It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it was one of those things, you know, where my grandmother decided everyone should get a family picture and everybody's just like, eh, really? Ooh. And then finally, you know, we did it. And then when my great grandma died that following year, then it was like, oh, you know, it's a really good thing that we actually did that. Like when, when we did it. Yes, of course. So that is something that I, I think about, you know, periodically that like, it, it could not have happened like so easily, you know, we could have just said, oh, you know, we won't do it right now. We'll wait, you know, but it was like right before I graduated from high school. And it was just like a really, a really good thing to actually have something to sort of measure like the generations in that way.
1: Yes, of course. Of course.
0: So you talked about medical school and you are a psychiatrist. Is that right? Yes. That is also very awesome. Thank you. And um, how, how does that work for you in terms of, of writing? Like, do you work in the field currently or like, how do you kind of carve out that time between psychiatry and fiction?
1: So we have childcare now. And uh what I do is I work, I, I practice part-time and I'm still virtual. So I've been virtual actually since right when my maternity leave ended. I see patients in my own private practice. And then the other days of the week I focus on my writing. So it's a pretty even split right now. Actually for the first time in my whole career. It's an even split before uh, oh, wow. medical school and residency hours were quite consuming. So writing always was given less time just because of being on call and just studying for board exams and all those different things. And, and now I'd say hours-wise, they're pretty de- balanced, which is, which is nice.
0: So I got my master's in clinical social work back oh. in 2009. And I remember thinking like I loved undergrad and hated grad school with like a passion that I, I cannot explain. <laughs> and thinking about that, like thinking about just the difference for me and feelings, I cannot imagine something even more consuming like actual, like medical school and residencies and like everything that goes into that. Um, that's, I think, just beyond my... My ability, I'd much rather um, do a podcast and talk about books. (laughs) Well, we're so grateful that you do. Oh, gosh, I just remember thinking, you know, grad school, like everybody's always saying, oh, you should, you know, get a master's degree. And I did. And I thought, this is horrible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's so that's so helpful, I think, to hear because I I think we put so much value on the things we should do and and what we should love and what we should pursue, (sighs) but there's so much to be learned in what we don't enjoy and what's not the right fit. And I think we owe it to ourselves to be honest about that. So I think that's incredible that you can say that because I know so many people who are like, no, but I should like this. I should. And so let me keep going. And, and it's hard then that way it leads to a lot.
0: I liked, you know, so much about the practice and like working with, with clients, but just the whole like grad school environment, I found like pretty horrifying.
1: It can be, it can be an extremely tough place. I've, I've heard that from almost every single person who I know who's gone to grad school. So I hear you. like, Like, why, like, why did I do this? Well, sometimes things do sound good in theory, so I, I get that. I think we all yes. think that resonates with all of us. To be fair,
0: so as a writer who has you know kind of a lot of that like inside knowledge of mental health, do you find yourself kind of drawing on sort of that other side of your professional life when you're writing?
1: Definitely, I think that when I was in medical school, I saw writing in medicine as two independent careers that I hoped to have. But when I started my psychiatry training, I realized how much overlap there was because at the core, they're about learning about people. And then we use that knowledge about what we learn, of course, in very, very different ways. But for my first book, for example, I I got rejected over 200 times and I wrote many, many drafts. And that also started out as a different story than what it was. It was a, a bit of a romantic comedy, love triangle story at first. And then when I was training and I learned about family therapy and couples therapy, I realized that the book actually needed to be a mother-daughter story. So both jobs have really helped each other so much. And and now I'm able to see the link between them all the time. I mean, when I'm practicing therapy, for example, I'm listening to people's stories. And, and really, I have to see what role they feel they're playing in their story and, and how can I be there for them to support them in their story? Um, whereas, of course, in fiction, I'm trying to write another story about someone else and follow it through, but, but I really need to understand the emotional landscape of the person I'm trying to write about. So there are common threads that really connect the two, and I'm very grateful for that.
0: So Well-Behaved Indian Women, was that your first
1: book? That was, that was. That was my debut that came out July of 2020.
0: Yes, yes. And that's the one that I have read. Um, I'm excited for your second one, but it has mm-hmm. not made its way to me yet. Oh, no, I hope you get a
1: copy soon. I know that the first ones had gotten to the warehouse a couple of weeks ago, so I'm just hearing people are getting it now. So I'm hoping that you get yours soon.
0: I should. Usually, um... Usually it's a little bit sooner than this, but I think, you know, often in, in public, like in publication, you know, you have little, little snags. So I am eagerly anticipating its arrival. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Can you say anything about what you're working on now?
1: Yes, so I'm working on my third book and it's about a new mom who's also a startup founder and CEO and Ooh. it's about it really it came actually from a question that occurred to me in the last several months which was what do we as a world do to women who go after everything they want? And nothing good. Exactly. That's all. I I, no, no. You you summed up the whole book. Look, no one needs to read it anymore because nothing good. No, it's true. Every single thing I was reading was saying exactly what you're saying um, Uh in in different iterations. And so I just thought, wow, there's so many layers to this to to how the world, to how different cultures, to I mean, so many different forces, how they make a woman feel when she goes after her biggest wants. And if those wants seem to be contradictory to each other or clashing in any way, it takes things to another level. So that question inspired a lot. So I've been doing a lot of reading on just the idea of caregiving um, for women around the world and uh, women's health and how even the healthcare system has played such a big role in how women feel when they're patients and, and so many different things. So I, I'm hoping to explore all of those in some way through this, this woman.
0: Excellent. So will this, like from what you can tell, be like a a single point of view novel, or will you also kind of branch out and look at other, at other characters?
1: So it started out as Two best friends uh, and it was alternating. And then my editor recommended that we stay with one perspective to really follow it through. And I appreciated that because I haven't done that yet. And I think for someone like this and all the changes she's going through, I think that'll end up being really, really valuable for the reader too, to just follow her on her journey.
0: It's amazing to me, like the sort of the stylistic choices that we can think like would be good Yes. as something starts and then as it evolves, either you know the writer themselves realizes or someone else, like, hey, you know, maybe it'd be better if it was done this way. And I, I love hearing sort of how things evolve for authors and how they, you know, come to like, oh, this is a book that should be told, you know, by one narrator versus like several.
1: So true, I agree, and I think some of the magic in writing really does come from rewriting. And from getting some other eyes on it and, and seeing it from a different vantage point. So I totally agree with you.
0: So what have you read in the past year or so that has really excited you and things that like you really want the world to know about?
1: Oh, so I recently read a memoir by the author Maya Lang, and it's called What We Carry, and it actually is, it's about her relationship with her mom and who, was who a practicing psychiatrist for many, many years, and then started having memory loss. And oh. the memoir follows uh, her relationship with her mom as Maya becomes a mother. And then also as her mom starts losing her memory. And so it's very moving and I really enjoyed it. I don't read as much nonfiction as I would like to. And so that was a book I picked up to try to get back into it. And I'm so glad I did. Uh, I also really enjoyed the book, Such a Fun Age by Kyrie Reed.
0: Yes. Did you read that? Oh, yes. I read it when it first came out, like right at the very end of 2019, because it came out like the last day of the year.
1: Yes. Yes. You're so right, because I think it came out right after I gave birth. And so it was the first book I read. Oh. Part of and I, I loved it I thought you know her writing style flows and so you don't it even does. realize how quickly you're reading which I thought was magical and it, it has so much great social commentary and and then also on top of that a great story so I'm excited to read whatever she writes next Whenever oh that...
0: I hope she I hope she does something else because yeah. she just she has such a phenomenal ability to to relate these stories in a way that as you say just feels like so so natural yeah. and effortless
1: yes natural and effortless are the perfect ways to describe it I didn't realize I was almost through that book I actually read it again five months later and had it was fun all over again so I think oh,
0: I was so sad when it ended it's like wait that's it I know <laughs> I know it's over yes yes agreed so yes, I'm, I'm waiting to see what she has in store for us. Same. So as you have kind of evolved on your own writing journey, are there sort of pieces of information or kind of lessons that you take with you from book to book, or is each book sort of that like fresh, clean slate where you start learning again, like all the way from, from square one?
1: A little bit of both. I'd say that I think just like anything else, writing regularly helps me feel better at it where I can get into the flow quicker. I can get into that mode mentally quicker than I maybe would have five years ago, 10 years ago, but each book is a different journey. And I I do want to make sure that I challenge myself and that I'm trying new things and flexing new muscles. So I'd say it's a little bit of both. You know, Sometimes I'll find myself thinking back to older characters and older themes and, and things like that. And I'll have to tell myself, no, we're in a new place now. And I have to put myself in a new mindset. So when I'm working with new characters, I'll actually sometimes go through an entire day pretending I'm in their body.
0: Ah, and like, what would they? Yeah.
1: What would they order at doing the coffee shop? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. What would they eat? What would they be watching on TV? What secrets are they keeping to themselves? What's making them mad? And, and that sometimes helps me to shift.
0: I love that i wonder how many people actually like <laughs> do that on you know like if they're if they're writers like whether they're writing you know books or like screenplays i wonder how many people are like out in the world kind of inhabiting um the body of like a character
1: oh yeah yeah That's so true
0: why that intrigues me i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> I find it um, an interesting thing to contemplate this morning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree. I think I, I love learning about process. That's why I also, I love your questions because I think it's so interesting how people go about making things. They're making something out of nothing and everybody's route can be so different.
0: It's true. So before I let you dash off to whatever else you have planned for today, can you let listeners know the best place to find you online?
1: Sure, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Somia J Dave. So S A U M Y A J D A V E.
0: Perfect. And what a happy family is scheduled to release on June 22nd. Is that right? That's correct. Ooh, it's almost here. It's
1: so close. Ugh.
0: Only two more weeks. I know. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your pre-release schedule to chat with me and let my listeners get to know a little bit about who you are as an author and as a person.
1: Thank you so much. This was great. And I appreciated all of our points
0: really a lot. Thank you. All right. So on the topic of new books this week, as I said, it's not as big a list as I've given in the past. Um, It also does not start with books that you've heard us mention before, because somehow nothing that we uh, talked about on our Most Anticipated Books of August episode was actually releasing on August 24th. So I am starting out with the latest novel by Yasmin Gallinorn, and this is Veil of Stars. It is the last full-length book in the Wild Hunt series. There will be a novella that officially ends the series that will be called *Antler Crown, and I believe it will be out right around the end of 2021. But this one is Veil of Stars, and it is the last full-length novel. So if you are a fan of The Wild Hunt, definitely pick this up. It is Veil of Stars by Yasmin Gallinorn. Next up is a historical novel. This is The Last Debutante. It is by Georgie Blaylock. That name may be familiar to you from her, um, I think it's 2019 release, the Other Windsor Girl, and this one, though, is set in England right at the start of World War II, and we're actually kind of examining the lives of the women who made up kind of that last season, you know, the season that we all know about if we've read historical romance. Um, this looks really, really good because I think, you know, we we focus a lot on on debutante and the whole marriage mart thing in Regency romance, some Georgian romance, but we don't really see kind of how that came to an end. And I think that's what we have here in The Last Debutante. And again, this is by Georgie Blaylock. All right, switching gears a little bit, let's move from historical fiction to historical romance. There are a couple of very notable. Um, historical releases. So, Julianne Long is releasing the third book in her Palace of Rogues series, and this is I'm Only Wicked With You. Julianne Long is best known, I think, for her Penny Royal Green series, which is another historical series. She also has a contemporary series um, that I think... was like... Four four or five books, I think. Um, But this one is the Palace of Rogues series. This is the third book, and it is I'm Only Wicked With You. And again, it's by Julianne Long. If you love historical romance, you may be familiar with the writing of romance author Sarah McLean, and she has a new book out this week. This is Bombshell. It is Hell's Bells, book one and this is a long-awaited novel for McLean's fans because we get to we get to finally know I believe her name is Cecily um we get to know her story and this one um I've seen a few early reviews of a lot of people really love it so If you love Sarah McLean or if you're looking for kind of the perfect place to start, you might want to start here with the first book in this new series. This is Hell's Bells, book one. It's called Bombshell and it's by Sarah McLean. And let's move into some some contemporary romance. I'm moving on now to Uncharted. This is Survival Instinct, book two, by Adriana Anders. This series um, began a couple of years ago with Whiteout, which is a book that I actually have on my iPad. Um, Sometimes I find myself really in the mood for like wilderness romance, and that's what Whiteout looks to be. So I heard that it ends on a huge cliffhanger, and finally book two is here. This is Uncharted. Survival Instinct, book two, by Adriana Anders. We then have a small town romance. This is Foolish Hearts, Jackson Falls, book four, by Synethea Williams. This is an author that I have heard quite a bit of buzz about over the past, I don't know, maybe year and a half, um, I look at her books a lot. I see them in my public library, and I'm like, hmm, I need to you know, get this. The hold lists are always really long, though, so I never have. But if you are more fortunate than I am and are actually caught up with this series, then you may be very glad to know that the fourth book is out. So this is Foolish Hearts, Jackson Falls, book four, by Cynthia Williams. If you love Katherine Anderson, then you... Are probably familiar with her mystic creek series this is the seventh book that's out today it's called maple leaf harvest and mystic creek is a small town i believe in oregon um, Kristen has talked about the first book in this series um, on another episode a couple of months ago i started reading katherine anderson way back in the late 90s and although i don't love everything she writes I think her books do have a lot of heart and she does um, a lot more disability representation than other than some authors do. So I still have kind of a, a fondness for Katherine Anderson. But this is Maple Leaf Harvest, Mystic Creek, book seven by Katherine Anderson. And we have a romantic suspense title. This is Faceless. It's Pike, Wisconsin, book two by Alexandra Ivy. Mika is a fan of Ivy's kind of paranormal romance series, Guardians of Eternity. And this is one that I know that she was looking forward to in terms of August releases. It is romantic suspense, I believe, centered around a kind of bodyguard, like security company in Wisconsin. So this is Faceless, Pike, Wisconsin, book two. And it is by Alexandra Ivey. Okay, I have a couple of mysteries for you, and then I'm all done. So if you like kind of, I don't know, cozies with a bit of a bite, um, police procedurals kind of thing, then you will probably have heard of Louise Penny. And Louise Penny is releasing the 17th book, in her Armand Gamache series. This is The Madness of Crowds, and I have to say that Penny is such a lyrical writer. I love what she does with words. I am not caught up in this series. I've only read like the first 3 or 4 books, so I'm not at all current. But every once in a while, I just find myself drawn to this small Canadian village where most of her novels take place. It's called Three Pines, and they are just such amazing characters like you kind of expect them to jump off the page so if you are caught up with this then you're probably more than ready for this latest book it's the madness of crowds Armand Gamache book 17 by Louise Penny we then have a psychological thriller this is Where I Left Her by Amber Garza it is about a woman whose teenage daughter goes to a sleepover and never returns um, Amber Garza has written a couple of other books that I actually own one of them and I think one I've been on hold for the public library for a while but um, she is an author that I am eager to try and this one looks especially good it's Where I Left Her by Amber Garza and last up we have a young adult thriller The Eyes of the Forest by April Henry this is the story of a teenage fan of a fantasy author. And this author has gone missing, and our protagonist seems to be the only person who has taken notice. So she goes out into the real world to try and figure out what happened to this kind of fantasy author, and she has to, you know, obviously look beyond some of the smoke and mirrors that he creates in his books to hopefully figure out what happened to him. This is The Eyes of the Forest, and it's by April Henry. So... As I said, not a huge list today, but I still hope that I've managed to provide you with a few things to add to your TBR piles. I hope all of you are staying as safe and well as possible.